Our text is Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. The topic, the Israelites cross over on dry ground as the priests bear the ark of the Lord into the Jordan River. The title of our message, Razors of the Lord's Ark. Beginning in verse 1, then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still." And rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zeratan. So the waters that went down into the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Let's pray. Father, we're here to study your word, and we've come to that point in our service uh, where you are ready to anoint its teaching and open our hearts to hear it. I pray, Lord, that we would see many wonderful representations of your love for us as we work through these 17 verses. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. If you've lately flown commercially, you've had to hurry up and wait. The airline makes you arrive at least two hours early, only to sit around waiting to board a flight that invariably takes off late. We don't like to hurry up and wait. It seems a waste of our valuable time, which is why it surprised me when I noticed that the Lord had his people hurrying but waiting as they were about to enter the promised land. They were given three days to get ready to enter the land. 
After the three days, Joshua said, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Once they began crossing, they were described in chapter 4 as hurrying across. But then again in chapter 5, instead of immediately attacking Jericho, all the adult males are circumcised and we're told that they stayed in their places in the camp until they were healed. It turns out that hurry up and wait can be a valuable use of time when it comes to walking with God. It can prepare us to overcome otherwise impossible obstacles in our walk with Him. Hurrying is not to be confused with rushing through things. It is having a zeal for waiting. It is getting the most out of waiting on God. It translates into hurrying in your walk to get further and to make progress. And so I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, if you want to overcome obstacles, you need to hurry up and wait. And number two, if you want to overcome obstacles, you'll need to hurry up and walk. Let's take a look first of all in verses 1 through 5 at our waiting on the Lord. It was flood season. Estimates are that the Jordan River with swollen banks could be as much as a mile wide and 150 feet deep. It would be impossible for nearly 2 million Israelites to cross with their women and children and livestock and possessions. We face impossible obstacles like this every day. It could be a habitual sin. It could be a trait of our temperament. It could be some shame that we bear. Often we could consider our pride a swollen obstacle that hinders our spiritual progress, something that is in the way of our getting across. God wants us to get across our impossible obstacles. To do so, we need to hurry up and wait on Him. And by that I mean we should make valuable use of the time we have to wait upon the Lord. Joshua did that and we want to learn from him. And so back in verse 1, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel, they lodged there before they crossed over. What do you think Joshua was doing first thing in the morning? Well, we know that he was spending time alone with the Lord. There's no substitute for getting alone with God. It doesn't have to be in the morning. I happen to be a morning person. Uh, I usually get up before my alarm goes off early in the morning. I stumble down the hall uh, and then plug in my coffee, 18 ounces of home brew, and uh, get there in front of my you know, word and just have that time. Not everybody's a morning person, and so I'm here today for those of you who are not morning people, to set you free from this burden that you've been put under all these years in churches. Uh, if you want to stay up late and have your devotions late at night because that's your time, then that's great. The idea is not that everybody has to get up early in the morning and spend time with God. The idea is that you have to spend time with God, that you want to spend time with God, that you would have a zeal, that you would really rather spend time with the Lord waiting on Him than pretty much anything else. And that's a can be a tall order sometimes. There's a lot of things that we enjoy, uh, a lot of wonderful things that God has given us to enjoy. In fact, the Bible says He's given us all things to enjoy. But there needs to be that sense in my life that I would really rather be in the presence of God, that I would really rather look into the face of Jesus Christ. Now I see darkly through the mirror of His Word, but it motivates me to see him nonetheless. 
And so we, you know, you don't have to get up early in the morning, but your devotions can't be neglected if you want to cross over into his blessings. Verse 2, so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. The Ark of the Covenant is going to be mentioned 10 times in chapter 3 and a total of 16 times when you add chapter 4. It was the physical dwelling place of the glory of God on earth among his people. It represented the very presence of God in their midst. When I wait on the Lord, I am reminded of his presence in my life to lead me. The Lord doesn't want to drive me. He wants to lead me, and there's a big difference. Uh, we drive cattle, and you've seen, you know, maybe some of you have driven cattle. I never have. Uh, I've driven a Taurus. No, couldn't resist. But uh, you've seen cattle drives in the movies on television. Uh, Jesus is our shepherd, and a shepherd doesn't drive sheep. He leads sheep. There's a big difference because I think sometimes Christians fail to overcome obstacles because they misunderstand how the Lord helps them get across. He doesn't bring me to the shore of some swollen river, some terrible obstacle, and then train me how to swim through it as he watches me struggle from the shore. He goes ahead of me. He takes me into it and then through it. All I need to know is his empowering presence. So often the church or Christian ministers can, uh, or Bible study teachers can kind of drive you into a direction. Maybe the end is good, but the end never justifies the means. God doesn't like it when his people are driven, when they are manipulated and motivated in that way. He wants them to be led by his love. And, and it's always true that when you see the love of your Savior, you'll be much more motivated to follow him and to set out on the adventure of the Christian life. Verse 4, there shall be a space between you, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Don't come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. They were to keep a distance of at least or around 3,000 feet, I would say. The stated reason was that they might not get ahead of the ark, but be content to follow wherever it led them. We often find it hard to give God space to lead us. That's because we get ahead of him with our own plans and our own direction for our own lives. What happens then, though, is that we'll get out into the middle of something and we'll have lost sight of what is really important, the joy of fellowship with Jesus. When we launch out on our own, we can find ourselves in a place or serving the Lord and, and because of the trials and the difficulties, it becomes a tedious burden rather than a blessing. The truth is, whether I'm in a place where I'm abounding with blessings or being abased with buffetings and sufferings, it really doesn't matter if I'm with the Lord, if I am in fellowship with Him. It only matters when I've lost sight of Him and I can't see my way clear and I become burdened in my flesh. And so we want to not get ahead of the Lord and let him do the leading. Then in verse 5, Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. In the Old Testament, when the Israelites were told to sanctify themselves, it normally meant that they would bathe and change their clothes. 
Now, if you'd been wandering around in the desert for 40 years, you'd want your neighbor to bathe and change his clothes. And uh, this was a good time to do that. I mean, do you ever, sometimes I watch this stuff or I think about it, I think, man, what must that have smelled like? Two million people and their animals before there were huggies uh, and other modern conveniences. Uh, by the way, the, the diaper has got to be the greatest development of all time, you know, much more than the computer. I could live without a computer, but diapers, I don't know. Uh, but think of the smells. Actually, I'd have an advantage because now that I'm older, I've, I'm, I've lost most of my sense of smell. Uh, a lot of times people here at the church, people say, do you smell that gas? No. You know, and somebody's left a burner on and, you know, and stuff. And I can't smell that. I can't. It's a blessing, you know, now that we have our granddaughter. Uh, it's a huge blessing from what I can tell from other people uh, and their reaction. But, uh, you know, I, I don't really have that sense of smell. But uh, these people, you know, they, it was, God was going to do a brand new thing. He's going to take them over into the promised land. He says, why don't you bathe and change your clothes? And it was really an outward showing of the inward work that he wanted them to do, to examine their hearts and be ready and excited about the work that he was doing. And in that sense, we are to sanctify ourselves. We are to ready our hearts not to earn or deserve God's blessings. It's not that we clean ourselves up or, or you know, make ourselves more holy so God is obligated to do things for us. It is really just to be ready to receive the blessings God already has promised us. Look at it this way. If I'm not willing to examine myself and perhaps confess my sin, then I don't really care to see God's wonders, do I? I'm telling God I'm content, camped out next to my obstacle rather than wanting to conquer it. Basically, I'm telling the Lord, well, I don't have any sense of smell anyway. I've become desensitized, so I'm just going to hang out here uh, and I don't really want to conquer this. One of the examples I'm going to use probably throughout our studies in Joshua, because we can all relate to it, is character traits, or you might call them personality traits. I think most people at one time or another have said to someone else, hey, that's just the way I am. And that is like a deal breaker, I guess. You know, that's the end. Once you say, that's just the way I am, oh, okay, <laughs> I didn't know that. So if you want to be hateful, resentful, spiteful, angry, and mean, nothing can be done about that because that is just the way you are. Well, I read in the scripture, of course, that we're new creatures in Christ. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. And I'm to have the attitude that that's just the way I was. And God saved me for time and for eternity to change me moment by moment from glory to glory. And so even as the words are coming out of my mouth, that's just the way I am. I should be choking on them because what I'm saying to God is I can't smell my resentment. I don't smell my bitterness. I don't smell my anger, my lack of forgiveness. I'm happy with it. And, and I, for one, I'm very happy with a lot of my more negative personality traits. I mean, I'm used to them. They're comfortable. They're cozy. They make a nice escape. They make a nice retreat when, you know, you, you don't really want to pony up and act like a Christian. And this is exactly what we're talking about. So God says, well, sanctify yourself. Do you want these blessings? Do you want me to do wonders among you? Then develop a sense of smell. You stink. 
When somebody accuses you of something and, and, and you have to say, that's the way I am, you stink. And God wants to change you from the inside. God's people were waiting, but the time was being valuably spent. Hurry up and wait for the Lord. Invest yourself in your devotions to get a sense of God's presence and of his leading. Sanctify yourself so he can do wonders and obliterate the obstacles you face. Verses 6 through 17, if you want to overcome obstacles, you need to hurry up and walk. Look ahead in chapter 4 to the end of verse 10 where it says, The people hurried and crossed over. There's a time for waiting upon the Lord, and there is a time for walking with the Lord. Once waiting is done, we should be in a hurry to follow him through our obstacles. And so in verse 6, Joshua spoke to the priest saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. In the New Testament, we're told that every Christian is a priest. Peter calls us a royal priesthood. If we are not waiting in private, then we are walking in public. And that means that we should, each of us, have a sense that people look to us and they should see Jesus lifted up, raised up, exalted in our lives. Verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Forty years earlier, Moses parted the Red Sea and the waters heaped up on both sides. It was recorded on video and you see it with Charlton Heston once a year around Easter time. Fantastic miracle as water on one side, water on the other, and they walk through on dry ground through this corridor. God would get the next generation across an equally impassable Jordan River, but he would do it differently. They would first have to step in and get their feet wet, and then he would stop the water, not on both sides, but far upstream only. Why does God do things differently? Well, one reason at least is so we will remain dependent upon him and not think that we can ever do anything on our own. He wants us to have a relationship with him as a person and not with his methods. Now, there's sometimes a fine line. The Bible does teach precepts and principles that we want to internalize. But a lot of times I think we're looking for step-by-step directions. And that means that we want to know exactly how something works so that it will work that way every time. If I do A, B, and C, I will get D as a result. And God purposely shakes things up in the Bible and in our lives so that we will be looking to Him, waiting on Him, walking with Him, and not expecting that everything is going to fall out exactly the way it always does. And so He looks at this next generation and He says, I have a whole new type to give you. I have a whole new illustration I want you to draw close to me, so I'm going to do things differently than I've done before. We're not into methods. A lot of times we uh, pass on certain programs that sweep through the church. They're not bad. They're not evil. They're not wrong. They're not heretical, but they're not really about the person of Jesus Christ. They're teaching a methodology that makes people think that they can swim the river by themselves with Jesus clapping them on. 
And we would rather just focus our heart and our attention on the Lord and walk with Him. And so in verse 9, Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here, hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that He will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Gergesites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. And back in the day, we used to say, and the Outisites. And it always got a laugh or a groan, and so why not? A couple of things here. Number one, God told Joshua, I'm going to exalt you. Joshua said, guess what, people? God's going to exalt himself. It's really remarkable. Joshua is only interested in God getting the glory. Let that be a lesson to all of us. He lists seven powerful enemies. They're waiting to engage God's people. I don't know if this was such a good strategy from one point of view. If I'm Joshua and I'm just a military leader, I don't know if I want to remind the people that there are seven powerful enemies who have been dug into the land for over 400 years with fortified cities and stored up supplies, fierce, amoral warriors who can't wait to attack and kill. But what he's doing is saying that whatever we face, God has already driven them out. And whatever enemy you and I are facing, God will, without fail, drive it out. The point we are emphasizing in our studies in Joshua is to go forward with God and conquer those enemies and obstacles that seem overwhelming. Later in the book, we started our studies with a a, a verse in chapter 13 where God came to Joshua and he says, you're old and advanced in years, there is much territory yet to be conquered. And no matter where we are in our walk with the Lord, the Lord could come to us and say, Gene, there is much territory yet to be conquered. And so... Let's look at not the enemy so much, but at God having overcome the enemy. We live in a society that is overwhelmed by obstacles. The general feeling, even among Christians, is that spiritual resources alone are insufficient for us to live the Christian life. We need the resources of the world and, and, and we need other things brought in to help us because you know everything is so overwhelming. And for many of us, we need to take a step back and say, all I'm doing is facing some Gergeshite. And God's already defeated that enemy at the cross. And I have nothing to fear. Verse 11, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. We'll see in chapter 4 that these tribal representatives had a specific task to perform. They would gather 12 stones to set them up as a memorial. What I see for us here is that every one of God's people was represented, and thus every one of God's people was included. Overcoming obstacles and enemies in your life is not for the elite few. It is for every believer in Jesus Christ, no matter how young or old, no matter how mature or immature, God is talking to each of us in these things, not just to some of us. Verse 13, And it came to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, they shall stand as a heap. Why don't we see God doing wonders in our lives? As I suggested earlier, sometimes it's because we have gotten comfortable camping on the shores of our enemies. And not only comfortable, when God tells us to do something, we don't really want to get our feet wet. 
we're a little bit hesitant because we aren't sure if it's going to work out. We don't really like walking by faith and not by sight. And so when God comes along, he says, I just want you to take on that enemy. And he doesn't give any more direction than that and just asks us to step out in faith. We hesitate. You know, when you first get saved, those of you who have a testimony later in life, and you first got saved, God did kind of a Red Sea experience with you. You, you were right at the edge of all these problems and difficulties and struggles, whether it was you were a drunk or a drug addict or some other kind of addict or whatever. And God just parted the Red Sea. All of a sudden, all of those things were taken from you and you just walked across into salvation on dry ground, as it were. Then, for various reasons and weaknesses, sometimes we bring things back into our lives. We're so mature and so we have so much liberty that now we can do some of the things in moderation we think that God has delivered us from. And they come in like a vengeance. They begin to attack and destroy and undermine. And then God says, okay, we're going to conquer this, but you're going to have to believe me and walk. You're going to have to take a step of faith, and it's going to be like walking into the Jordan. I'm not going to part that again for you. I already did that. You're going to have to take a step. Not depends on us. God's already given us the victory, but he wants to do it a different way. And for a lot of us, if you're struggling with a habitual sin or something like that, God wants to deliver you from that. It's not overwhelming. It's not something that you can't defeat with the Lord's help. Take the step. Verse 17, Then the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground. Excuse me, verse 14. Did I lose my place? Did you, did you sense that I lost my place? I sensed that I lost my place. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the uh, whole time of harvest that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. So the waters that went down to the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, failed. They were cut off and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. God wants you to start walking with him in obedience and then he will stop the waters from flooding over you. Take the step. Verse 17. Then the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. I love that it was dry ground, not muck and mud and mire that you would expect in a riverbed. This was equally miraculous as stopping the water. It's telling us there was nothing to get them bogged down. And when the Lord has called you forward, though there may be trials and struggles and problems, you won't get bogged down because you will be on His dry ground. Two million people walking 1,000 abreast would be about 2,000 deep and could cross, I'm told, in about an hour, especially since we read in chapter 4 that they hurried across. Now, do you think they hurried from fear? thinking that that water was going to come any moment? Possibly, but I don't think so. I think they hurried from faith. Once they understood they were victors and not victims, that they were overcomers not to be overcome, they hurried forward because they wanted to get to the other side and get more and more victory from the Lord. 
It's like, hey, God has dried up the ground and is holding back the water. We've got to get over into the promised land and take on the next enemy and the next enemy and the next enemy. They were excited. They hurried in their walk. And the conclusion I want to come to today is that you and I need to be in more of a hurry in our walk with the Lord. We don't have time to waste once we have direction and leading from the Lord. We want to be excited about overcoming obstacles. You hurry up and wait on the Lord in order to hurry up in your walk with the Lord, overcoming obstacles and conquering enemies. Now, one final picture from our text this morning. We read that the waters which came down from upstream stood still. They rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. The city of Adam is the place some archaeologists identify today as Tel Admayah. They're not sure, but they believe it was a real city existing at that time. We know that it was because it's listed here in the Word of God. But the city also has a spiritual significance. It's, it's not insignificant that the name of the city was Adam. And everything we are talking about in gaining victory over obstacles and enemies is represented in the mention of this city of Adam. From a spiritual standpoint, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, stepped into the flooded waters of God's judgment against the sin of mankind. Those waters rolled over Him as He died on the cross at Calvary. But He came up out of those waters. He rose from the dead. He was victorious over sin and death. And it's because of His resurrection life that we can have our life and victory as overcomers and we are not overwhelmed by the flood of God's wrath against sin. And so you might say that by His death and resurrection, Jesus rolled back the waters of God's judgment all the way to Adam, to the first man and to his sin, which brought God's judgment like a flood upon the human race. All who so choose can walk across on dry ground and be saved from judgment because Jesus was raised up on the cross. And those of us who have been saved, those of us who are Christians, we can then go on vanquishing spiritual foes as we wait upon the Lord and then walk with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things. They are altogether precious, too precious for us. And yet you entrust us with them because you love us and care for us. And I pray that we would take these things to heart, that without rushing headlong, we would hurry to wait with you and then hurry in our walk with you and that we would know victory after victory over sin after sin, over trait after trait in any area where we have grown comfortable camping, that we would take on that enemy keeping you ahead of us, keeping our eyes on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together. Guys, we'll be here to pray with you after the service. And so if there's something that's on your heart, come on forward. Visit Hillary over at her table. Buy some of her product if you're so inclined. Uh, encourage her. Tell her uh, you enjoy having her here. Give her a, a good Central Valley uh, hospitality. May God bless and keep you in Jesus' name. Amen.